Hi everyone, I'm Ricardo Gonsalves and you're listening to the Ricardo and Ready podcast. Inspiring stories during lockdown taken from our live Ricardo and Ready Facebook show. The road to surrogacy is an emotional and costly one, but a remarkable gift allowed Mick Toomer to realise his dream of becoming a father. Mark Reddy and I spoke with him. Mick Toomer uh, contacted us on the Ricardo and Reddy Facebook page. We've never met him before and uh, he lives out in Western Sydney and he has gone through the surrogacy process, which not a lot is known about, I think, here in Australia. We hear it sometimes in the news, but uh, it is something that is obviously quite a long process. So we thought we'd talk to Mick about that. Mick, can you tell us, why did you want to become a father? Um, it's been a long journey for me, um, and I've always wanted to be a dad from the day dot. Um, for me, when I was probably about 15, I've always dreamt of having a family, um, but obviously that stigma of, um, you know, obviously, can I be a dad? Can I be a single dad? Um, and what the situation is. So um, one day I woke up in the morning and I said, you know what, let's let's expand our family. So I um, was really excited to do that. So that's probably one of the real reasons why is because, again, a lot of people that live by themselves, you know, also struggle with not having an additional person in their life or, you know, you know, you work so hard and that. So for me, it was just more, I wanted to have a family and expand on it. So. Mick, so let's talk yeah. about the options that were available to you, right? So you could either have adopted or have gone through surrogacy. So why did you go one way, not the other? Um, for me, it's probably a little bit selfish, um, you know, with adoption or with foster parenting, you know, you've got to give the child back at some point. Um, sometimes it's extremely difficult. Um, and for me, it wasn't until one of my friends actually guided me through um, options of surrogacy. And um, when I looked at it, it was more about the legalities um, that you know obviously wowed me to become a, um, you know a dad through surrogacy. Um, and the fact that you're able to have that child and that child is gro- grows up with you, and you essentially don't give that child back if the parent wants um, you know that particular child back. And that's a traditional method with you know foster parenting or adopting. Um, you know, that stigma in that sense of, you know, I'm pretty selfish in that sense, I guess, um, you know, not wanting to give the child back, um, you know, I've, you know, be raising the child, etc. So, um, yeah, that's probably the real reason why I went through surrogacy. Can you, I mean, you're talking to two other single guys as well, and we don't necessarily know much about the whole process, right? The, the surrogacy process, can you start from the beginning? How does it actually work? Um, it's the most confusing process to go through. Um, I personally didn't even know what to do um, or where to go to. And as I mentioned, one of my friends actually that I work with um, mentioned me mentioned an Australian company. So um, they said, you know, just jump on their Facebook page um, and have a look at it. Um, and it wasn't until um, probably about three months into researching, there was a company called <coughs> Family Soup Surrogacy. So they, they talk about the process and they invited me to go to one of their seminars, uh, which they held in the city. Um, in Sydney and they do that across each state and they explain to us about the process of surrogacy um, and what happened. So they talk about international um, and that's how I had my son. I did my son through Mexico. Um, they also talked about the, the way in Australia and how that operates. So um, I chose to go overseas, um, much cheaper option, to be honest, uh, very expensive and the legal process here in Australia is so confusing. Um, each state has its own rules. New South Wales at the time that we had our son does not permit surrogacy um, in any shape, way or form, um, but Victoria does and WA. So I would have essentially had to lie and break the law um, and move to those states if I had to have a child in Australia. 
But you do have to move to Mexico. What was that like and how long were you there for different language? It must have been quite a unique experience. Um, it was the most isolating experience because secondary language is not Spanish for me. And I was lucky enough, you know, um, that my other half that came with me speaks Spanish and it was um, an, an easier process to understand. Um, I guess for me, the process of having a newborn child, not having any family around as well to support me. So we took no one with us. We're in a, you know, obviously in another country, you know, we didn't want additional stress problems um, moving forward. And for me, um, sitting in a hotel room, yes, it's a five-star hotel, but looking outside a window with a baby whilst, you know, um, you're essentially talking to people that don't speak English. So I had to quickly um, absorb the Latin language, Spanish language, and quickly learn it. So it was pretty broken, uh, pretty shitty, to be honest, um, my um, my Spanish. Um, so it was really difficult. And what was it like meeting um, the person was, that was going to help you through this process initially? Tell us about those first moments when you met the person that was going to really help you through this process. Um, it's actually a really foreign process because you actually meet them through the lawyers. So everything's done obviously above board with lawyers um, that are involved. Um, and obviously the surrogate person that we um, we chose um, would always speak through the um, the lawyer and the process until probably about six months till she actually felt comfortable having a conversation with us. Um, essentially the lawyers in the background and if they're there was an answer that she wasn't allowed to answer she'd be looking and you could tell that concern was is we never saw the stomach so i thought are we we're having a child are we having a child and it wasn't until probably about seven months till she stood up and said oh and by the way i'm actually just showing um she you know i'm a late boomer it just popped out so that was for me really um really tough when i met her um and when i met with her face to face it was even better it was such a touching feeling i i, I we, we, we both cried we both couldn't communicate with each other but we both cried because she brought our son to the world um and the hardest part was is that when i wanted to thank her at the hospital they were seg we were segregated she wasn't allowed to come and see us or the child um so she went looking for us we went looking for her and we essentially invited her into the room and said thank you so much for what you've done for us and we actually allowed her to hold the child so she was essentially nearly in trouble if it wasn't for us um telling them no no we invited her in she could have potentially been in a lot of trouble mick can you tell us about the emotional roller coaster because you're telling telling us there about those feelings but even the success rate of actually having a child even if you do go through all these steps yeah so he gabriel my son is our fifth attempt um, so for us, the actual journey process is really um, interesting in the sense of, so they say 99% uh, success rate, um, and that's 99% success rate of the implementation of the embryo. So, um, but from there, it drops significantly. So you go to about 30%, um, and each month it gets a small, smaller and smaller. So essentially you've got probably about when the fertilization happens in the first 12 weeks, uh, it's about a 3% um, success rate from there so it's a 99 percent implementation success rate and that's what they advertise but it's three percent chance of it actually holding through the pregnancy um and for us we made wow. it worse because we chose to go with a separate embryo and a separate surrogate so we made it a little bit complicated so my son's mum is actually not the surrogate who held the child so his mother lives in the united states um and she's uh, portuguese south african um, and we chose to fly her in so 
um, cooking it and downing it down pretty quickly in such a short period of time, we had to learn how to get our surrogate over at the same time as the the, the surrogate's, um, I guess, cycle, menstrual cycle, and making sure that that came through. So the fresher it is, the better it is. So if you freeze it, the chances of the child, the success rate goes down by another 5%. So you're essentially like one to three percent chance of actually having a child through IVF. Mick, I hope you don't mind. We've got um, some questions coming through. Things, I hope you don't mind. Yeah. yeah, sure. Hope you don't mind answering no, a few absolutely. of the questions through. coming through. So, so James asks, do you still have contact with the birth mother? Um, no, we don't, um, and that's not because we have not chosen to. Um, unfortunately, with surrogacy. Uh, the companies don't allow the parent to remain in contact, um, but we do have their details for our son should he, when he turns 18 and chooses to make contact with her. So we do regularly send photos through to the agency for the mother to see the child to grow up, but we actually don't have contact with We have another one herself. by Jay. I'm oh, sorry, uh, cutting out slightly. Um, Jason has a question. Curious why Mick opted for Mexico rather than US or Asia and uh, would you do it again in Mexico? Why did you pick that country? Um, financially, so US is uh, 200,000 for one attempt. Uh, we, in total, and I'm happy to share this, uh, we, we spent in excess of 200,000 for five attempts. So um, double the chances. Um, and yes, I, we do it again. Um, but unfortunately, our surrogate who we built a trust with has actually removed herself from that program. So it's about rebuilding that trust and that process. And unfortunately, laws have changed in Mexico. So where my son is born is no longer legal. Um, so every year it goes through a shuffle. So it's about researching and, and starting all over again. So we would um, utilize his money again as well. Um, so he's got that biological link. Going through everything that you went through, can you tell us what that feeling was inside you when you first held your son? Um, it was... I guess a sense of relief, but a sense of accomplishment. Um, and as you guys can see here, um, you know, I, I'd never, never tried anything. Um, the emotions that we went through, um, you know, we unfortunately missed his birth because he decided to come three weeks early. Um, so we were in the air in the, um, and landed in the United States when we found out that our surrogate actually had her child. So we got when we got to him at midnight, it was like holding the bundle of joy and we just couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe that we're parents. Um, and, you know, there's probably lots of parents on here and not no parents. There's no manual. Um, every child is different. And they went, here you go, here's your child. And we went, oh, crap. Okay, so we're on our own. Here so we there go. Was that sense of scare, fear. I don't know what to do. Here we go. How do I change a nappy? How do I know? Is he hungry? Um, you know, and that's so, but it was really exciting. It probably took us probably about two or three hours to start getting to, to know our son and obviously holding him and um, taking on that role of, you know, you take your shirt off and that bonding because we did miss that. So um, we it took us, probably took Gabriel probably about seven hours to bond with us um, to understand that we were, uh, you know, there. Hey, Mick, um, $200,000 is, is obviously a lot of money and a huge cost to go through this process. Um, how did you fund this process? I mean, $200,000, 200, it's not easy to just come up with that amount. How did you get there? 
So it was it was through a, a friend of mine that passed away. My siblings are online now that they'll know who exactly who I'm talking about. So she was like a second mum to us. Um, and in her passing, she left me a letter saying to me that I need you to fulfill your dream to be a parent. Um, she was never a parent and she longed to have a child and she wanted my dream to come true. So, um, you know, may she rest in peace. And um, I'm sure she's watching us, um, you know, now and is excited to see that we actually have a family. Wow, that's that's amazing. Gee, that's a bit of a tearjerker, that one. Yeah, it's really beautiful. <laughs> hey, Mick, yeah, it is. I'm trying to... Yeah. Hey, Mick, can I ask you as well, um, obviously you live out in Western Sydney, so obviously you got you got your child and then you moved out there to Western Sydney. Um, how's that been um, moving out there with a family and raising your son out there? Um, to be honest, it's been fantastic. Um, we have not really had any issues um, living in Western Sydney, so biggest factor we had when we were linking up with people, you know, a lot of people live in the eastern suburbs um, and have kids and, you know, it's quite quite normal down there around blended families, etc. So for us, it's been fantastic. We haven't had any issues. My son's going to school next year. Um, you know, we obviously are Catholics um, and he's going to a Catholic school and there was no issues whatsoever. So we were really surprised and um, really like happy. So we wanted to test it out. And if we were going to have any sort of stigma or any issues raising Gabriel in Western Sydney, we were considering moving to the city, um, but we haven't had to at this point. So I think society is opening up very quickly um, around surrogacy um, and around blended families. And, and I don't think it's an issue anymore um, moving forward. So my son always says, you know, oh, I've got my parents, my mum lives in South Africa. He always says, my mum lives in South Africa and my dad is here. So, um, you know, he's got no issues um, and he hasn't had any issues. So it's really good. Mick, final question. For anyone thinking of going through the journey, what would your one piece of advice be? Be prepared um, and be prepared emotionally and physically because it does take a toll on you. Um, and obviously something that I learned uh, through Gabriel's grandmother, she mentioned to me that if we're going to invest this money and have nothing in return, we have to forgive and we have to forget. Um, and we can't hold that against anybody and it's going to be nobody's fault. So I guess the fifth attempt was our last attempt. And I said, you know what, if this doesn't work, then I'm at peace. It's not meant to be. I'm not meant to be a parent, but never regret. So if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. So please don't guess reality wise, don't expect it's going to happen the first time. Um, a lot of people think, oh, yeah, I'm going to fall pregnant. I'm going to fall pregnant the first time and everything's going to be happy and, um, you know, ha happy as Larry. It's not the case. Um, just be prepared emotionally. Um, and you know what? You have to stop. Financially, you have to stop. As I said, it was very expensive and we were very lucky to have somebody backing us. But if you, if you go against the financial aspect and continue to do it and you know you can't afford to do it, you've lost everything. You're potentially going to lose everything. So my word of advice, enjoy the process and have fun. Wow. Mick, thank you so much. That was really, really interesting to talk to you as someone who doesn't have kids but does have a goddaughter now. She's only just one. Um, that was really interesting to hear. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for Thanks, being guys. so open and honest and willing to share your story with us. Uh, we, 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 we truly feel honoured. Thank you, Mick.